Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Good to see ya. Welcome. It's good to have everyone here this morning. My name is Obed, and I am one of the leaders here um, at this church. And in case you don't know, you are at King's Cross Church. And we are a church that has been um, located in this part of San Diego um, coming up to four years now, four whole years. Um, and I'm looking forward to celebrating our fourth year anniversary um, in two weeks' time where we get to reflect on um, all that God has done. Um, he has been good. He has done so much um, in our lives. And so... Um, welcome. I don't know what else to say apart from if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We are coming to the end of our series in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in my opinion, we are, it's just been awesome. Just had a wonderful time. Um, learning and understanding what life here under the sun is really like. Um, Ecclesiastes chapter 10. I am going to lead us in the reading of the passage, and I'd love for you guys to stand for the reading of God's word. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 reads, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground, like slaves, he who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries, hope I pronounced that one right. Yeah. Thank you. Stones <laughs> is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is mad, evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be, and who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of the nobility and your princes feast at the proper time for strength 
and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will, will carry your voice, or some winged creature tell the matter. Oh my goodness. This is cool. Let's pray. You can sit and let's pray. God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word and your truth. We are incredibly grateful to have this opportunity to gather, not for the sake of one another. That's part of it, Lord, but our gathering has you at the center of this. And so as we seek to hear from you, God, I pray and I know and I'm confident that you would speak beyond um, what I say um, and that you would apply your truths to all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. The Empress New Clothes. The story of Little Sucker Thumb. The crybaby. Matilda. Little Red Riding Hood. The list of titles I just read um, can be categorized into cautionary tales. A cautionary tale, if you don't know, is a tale told in folklore to warn its listener of a danger. A cautionary tale is a genre of story that is told to warn the audience of a specific danger. Cautionary tales are written to teach a lesson or general moral issue normally to young children. And if you know about cautionary tales, some of them are intense, aren't they? For example, <laughs> Red Riding Hood is considered a cautionary tale in the original telling of the story. Both Red Riding Hood and her grandma are eaten by the wolf. And the moral of the story is don't speak to strangers. The writer of Ecclesiastes, who we're going to be referring to as the preacher from now on, is close to his conclusion. We're in chapter 10, we're going to be done in chapter 12, and as he gets ever so close to his conclusion, he wants to warn us, his readers, of a specific danger common to humanity. And that danger is foolishness. And he warns us using a series of proverbial statements. This chapter is unlike other chapters in that it is not a carefully constructed argument or anything like that, but it's made up of a variety of short stories case studies, proverbs, comparisons, and exhortations. Philip Ryken, who I love so much, who wrote an awesome book 
on Ecclesiastes, and I've been quoting him like crazy, says this, Although the apparent lack of organization may be frustrating to some readers, if you're type A, it is, not, it is a lot like life itself, in which one thing often runs into another without any obvious point of connection. And so these proverbs and sayings that we're going to find in chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes um, is similar to what you would find in the book of Proverbs. Throughout this chapter, the preacher will urge us to resist folly and embrace wisdom, and in doing so, he will give us a better understanding of what a fool is. And so in this chapter, what he's going to do is give us a painting, okay? Paint with words what a fool looks like. And so, let's take a look at the chapter to discover what a fool is and the fool is not. And so first, um, a fool is someone who minimizes sin. A fool is someone who minimizes sin. Look at verse 1 again. It reads, Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Okay? An expensive bottle of perfume has no lid and so therefore attracts flies. The flies easily make their way um, into the bottle and as soon as they crash into the perfume, they drown and die. Okay, you've seen that many times, haven't you? With other liquid objects. Flies just don't know why. I don't know why flies go into water when they know they're going to die. They just keep doing it. In this scenario, what happens is that the stench of the carcasses turn the sweet-smelling perfume into an unpleasant smell. And so what's happening here is that the preacher uses this scenario, this incident, as an illustration to communicate a vital truth. And that truth is this. The same way a perfectly wonderful perfume can be ruined by a few dead flies, a little foolishness has the potential to ruin great wisdom and honor. Put simply, something good can easily be ruined by something bad. A five-star meal can be ruined by a baby cockroach found in it. I remember once um, there were, I was waiting in line to eat uh, one of the restaurants in San Diego. I'm not going to mention any names or they're going to lose customers from our church. And I went there, I'm in line, and I'm about to buy my food, and one of the customers starts freaking out and says, there are maggots in my food. Guess what happened after that? I walked out. <laughs> I'm not going to buy anything from there. A little maggot was the reason why that restaurant lost me 
and several others as a customer. A five-star meal can be ruined by one baby cockroach. A fresh pair of white sneakers can be spoiled by a little blemish. I know what that's like. I got a fresh pair of white Nike sneakers for Christmas. They are white, really white, and I hate wearing them. <laughs> I don't want my kids around me. I don't want dogs around me. I don't want anything around me. Just go. <laughs> Get away. I hate going to the restroom wearing them. The worst feeling. A little bit of wrong can destroy a lot of good. A little compromise here and a bad decision there is enough to wreak havoc in your life. All it takes is one rash word, one rude remark, one hasty decision, one lustful look, one night with someone who's not your spouse, one lie, a night of drunkenness, an angry outburst, or a series on Netflix to spoil everything. Derek Kidna says this, it is easier to make a stink than create sweetness. It takes less effort to destroy something than to build it. History is filled with many examples of fallen leaders who have destroyed their reputation because of an act of foolishness. History is filled with many examples of husbands and fathers and wives and mothers who have torn their families apart because of one act of foolishness. David, Israel's beloved king and the man after God's own heart tarnished his reputation because of one act of foolishness. Guys, it's absolutely true. The preacher has nailed it. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give of a stench so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. And we're all in danger of the same devastation when we're foolish enough to think that we can escape the consequences of a subtle sin. When we minimize sin, we are being foolish. And so the question is, what have you been up to? How have you been living? What sinful habit have you been entertaining in your life? What sin have you been minimizing? What's the one area in your life where you feel the most vulnerable to do something foolish? For want of a nail... 
is a proverb made famous by Benjamin Franklin. It's one of your presidents, right? No? He should be a president if he's on the $100 bill. Benjamin Franklin included a version of the proverb for one of a nail in one of his writings, in a proverb that reminds us that seemingly unimportant acts of war missions can have grave and unforeseen consequences. And this is the, um, and the proverb. You guys probably know this, all right? This is how it reads. It reads, for want of a nail, the shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, the horse was lost. For want of a horse, the rider was lost. For want of a rider, the battle was lost. For want of a battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a horseshoe nail. Something really small can have big consequences, all right? Small foxes spoil the vine. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. A fool makes little compromises that leads him or her to the deep end of sin. And so that's number one for what a fool is. So number one, fools minimize sin. Number two, fools are always heading in the wrong direction. Look at verse two. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Back in those days, the right side was associated with strength, integrity, and morality, but on the left side um, was not associated with good things. And so, in fact, if you're southpaw and you're left-handed, I'm sorry, um, back then, left side, left hand was associated with weakness, lack of integrity, or immorality. And so, when the preacher says a wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left, he's basically, I hope the kid's all right, yeah. <laughs> um, where was I? A wise man's heart inclines him to the right. So when the preacher says that, he's basically saying this, that the wise man is heading in the right direction while the fool is always heading in the wrong direction in life. Okay? And so when we think about this, we have to think about how that kind of applies to us. And so the question I want us to start reflecting on and write down to reflect on is, um, what direction are you heading in your life? Are you heading, for example, toward temptation or are you fleeing from it? Are you heading towards a toxic relationship or have you Okay, decided to bring that relationship to an end. Are you heading towards getting involved in a local church and getting plugged in, or are you heading in the opposite direction of isolation and, oh, it's just me and Jesus. Jesus is my homeboy. All I need is Jesus. I love Jesus, but I don't love the church kind of thing. Are you wise or a fool? Which way uh, is your heart leaning towards God or away from him? Do you have a growing appetite for the things of God or are the things of God becoming less and less appealing to you? And so what, what direction is your life going in? So we've seen fools minimize sin. Fools are always heading in the wrong direction. Next, 
up is fools are easy to recognize. Fools are easy to recognize. Fools are easy to recognize. And um, look at verse 3, okay? Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. So a fool doesn't need to tell you that they're a fool. You can tell that they're a fool based on how they live and their actions and their life. Okay. And the interesting thing is everyone around them can see they're a fool. Okay. But they're blind to their foolishness. They can't see it, but everyone else can. Okay? Have you been around a fool? Have you been around someone where you know they are really, there's something up with them and they're heading in the wrong direction and all, everything they're doing is foolish, but they absolutely think they are awesome. Okay? You've probably been around something that. And so, in view of this, it's highly likely, okay, if it's hard for a fool to know that they're a fool, but everyone else can see it. It's highly likely that you too may be blind to some of your own foolishness. And the reason I say that is because you're not perfect. We're here talking about fools, and I bet you're thinking about someone else. But if you're wise, you'll be aware of the fact that you are also prone to being foolish. You are also prone to minimizing sin. You have been prone to going in the wrong direction. And here, you have been prone to thinking that you're awesome when there are areas of your life that need correcting. The fact that we're blind to our own foolishness, okay, is a reminder of how much we need community. It's a reminder of how much we need to continually invest time and energy into being part of a, a, a community that loves and lives for Jesus. That is why, as a church, the reason why we make a big deal out of gathering, whether it's our Sunday gatherings or our small little groups that meet in homes, is because we need Jesus. Absolutely, but we need each other. We are prone to wander. We are prone to go in directions that will be destructive for us. And we need other people that we love and trust to say, Hey, you are heading in the wrong direction. And you need to repent. Here's a challenge for you. All right, here's a challenge. <laughs> I love challenges. All right, here's a challenge, okay? Today, at lunch or later in the evening, okay, ask your spouse, family, a close friend, ask them this question, okay? When you look at my life, where do you see foolishness? Right, when you look at my life, where do you see foolishness? We live in a culture 
where we don't like to point out negatives and only want to focus on positives. And some of you are living foolishly and continuing to do so because you have kept your spouse and your close friends in the dark about your life. And so I challenge you this morning to not only get involved in community, but to surround yourself with people who are loving and living for Jesus. Don't remain idle isolated because in community people who you love will help you see how you're living foolishly and point you back to living a wise life and the wise life is a life that allows Jesus Christ to live through their life Fools minimize sin. Fools are always heading in the wrong direction. Fools are easy to recognize. Fools are easily offended. That's the next one. Fools are easily offended. Number four. Um, Look at verse four. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There's so many ways we can go about this, but this... um, particular verse there's so much in it and of course in those times is um, referring to kind of like um, rulers and kings and everything like that but if we bring it into our modern context I think this is telling us that if your boss for example, is acting irrationally and gets angry with you because you haven't been doing your job properly or whatever, Um, what this is encouraging us to do is to not quit, okay, to just not quit, handing your two-week notice, you know, boss called me into his office, and he pointed out a few things, and I tried to talk back, and the boss got, bah, bah, bah. and so therefore I'm quitting. It's, it is telling us to um, calm down, relax, and respond um, well to anything like that. For FYI, FYI, this is not saying to put up with abusive leaders. Okay, we're not saying that if a leader or a boss or anyone is abusive, um, make sure that you report them and you go about the right way in order to get out of there and everything like that. But what I think this is telling us is to not just get emotional and just leave something because a boss got frustrated with you or a leader got frustrated with you. Be calm, respond well. And you may be able to lay the offense to rest. And Gary Combs, who's a pastor, preacher, author, says this. We live in an increasingly thin-skinned world. People seem so easily offended. Nearly every category of humanity is declaring victimhood. Yet the Bible describes those who are easily offended as foolish. On the other hand, those who ignore and insult are called prudent or wise. So that was number four, fools are easily offended. Next, fools are in leadership positions and verses five, six, seven. Um, And then if you jump to 16, if you note these downs, we're not going to have time to cover them all. But it talks about how fools, foolish people end up in leadership positions. And as a result, um, they're 
bad decisions and their focus on themselves and their um, self-preservation or their whole desire to use the leadership for their own benefit kind of bleeds down into the people they're um, they're leading and this all just causes so much mayhem and so much havoc and everything like that. And so fools are in leadership positions. Number six, fools destroy themselves. Um, In verses eight and nine, let's read verses eight and nine. He who digs a pit will fall into it and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who um, quarries stones is hurt by them and he who splits logs is endangered by them. First, we're told that the foolish person digs digs a pit and then falls into the pit they dug. We're also told that the fool breaks a boundary. This is what it means by breaks through a wall. Back then, a city was surrounded by walls. And if you were to break through those walls, there was a a high chance that there would be a snake stuck in there. Okay, And so this fool is going somewhere or crossing a boundary or trespassing. Basically, that's what is happening here. Then the writer tells us in verse 9 that there are dangers associated with working with stones or chopping wood. There is danger with each stroke of an axe. And with these word pictures, the preacher is warning us that folly is self-destructive. Folly is self-destructive. To live foolishly is to bring destruction upon yourself. That was number six. Fools destroy themselves. Number seven. Fools hurt with their words. Fools hurt with their words. By the way, this is a seven-point sermon. (laughs) Right? You guys are like, oh my gosh, I didn't want to tell you at the beginning or you would have freaked out. But I bet some of you realized as it was going, you're like, seven points? I thought we'd do three or four. Seven! Oh my gosh! It's all right stuff, isn't it? All right, number seven. Um, Fools hurt with their words. In verse 10 and 11, we're told that fools fail to plan and also take on necessary risks. And then in verse 12 to 14, we're told that fools have a lot to say and hurt others with their words. The preacher then concludes his portrait of a fool with these words. Look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. Reads, again, even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. This is one of the reasons I never wanted to, I never want to buy a parrot. (laughs) Right? Don't know if it's talking about a parrot, but you know. What is this saying? (laughs) This is reminding us that someone is always listening to what we say, especially what we say in private. True story. 
During the British general election in 2010, Prime Minister Gordon Brown was seeking re-election. But his election campaign was thrown into turmoil when he was caught on mic calling one of his voters who had challenged him over the economy and immigration a bigoted woman. After a few exchanges, the voter told reporters that the Prime Minister was a very nice man. But when Gordon Brown was done with the conversation, what he does is he walks to his car, goes into his car, forgets that the mic, okay, the mic that was clipped on his lapel was still on. For example, if I am preaching and I'm like, I need to go pee, guys, and I just walk <laughs> down there, go in the restroom, and I forget to turn my mic off, here, all right, you will hear everything. <laughs> and I meet someone and I'm having conversation, you'll hear everything. And so imagine Prime Minister wants to get re-election, has a conversation with one of the women that wants to vote for him. He's challenged about the conversation. He leaves, forgets to turn off his mic, gets in his car, starts driving, and everything he says from then is picked up by the news networks. In the car, he said, that was a disaster. They should never have put me with that woman. Whose idea was that? Ridiculous. Asked by his advisor what she had said, he replied, everything. She was just a bigoted woman. Go on YouTube and type it in. Cringe. You will cringe. His remarks quickly broadcast and no apology was enough to fix what he had ruined. Commenting on the incident, a professor from Harvard, I believe, Rosabeth Moskantar said, there is no off switch for leaders. There is barely a backstage. Leaders walk around with spotlights, cameras, and microphones on them all the time. And she goes on to say, it's going to come up on there, leaders are wise to behave with a consciousness of how other people might view what they do and the awareness that people probably will view it. That requires... Truly authentic leaders whose characters are not mental constructions fate for the job, but run deeply in their hearts and souls. In the age of social media, instant video feeds via cell phones and hidden surveillance cameras, this advice about authenticity increasingly applies to everyone who aspires to leadership. And I would say that what she's highlighting Okay, what she's talking about is a modern version of what the preacher said thousands of years ago, right? Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich. For a bird of the air will carry your voice 
or some winged creature tell the matter. And I would say that what the preacher said and what she's getting at doesn't only apply to leaders, but also applies to everyone else. Someone is always listening, and so be careful what you say about other people in private. Whether in your thoughts that are only heard in your mind or those softly spoken in the privacy of your bedroom among friends, whatever you do, avoid cursing others. You will be shocked at how often what you say against someone will get back to that person. Someone is always listening to what you say. And so our passage this morning has given us a better understanding of what a foolish person is. Fools minimize sin. Fools are always heading in the wrong direction. Fools are easy to recognize. Fools are easily offended. Fools are in leadership positions. Fools destroy themselves. Fools hurt others with their words. And so the question is, or the realization, first the realization is, I'm sure some of you um, have looked at the list and you are admitting that I am a fool. <laughs> I have. I am guilty of some of these things. And the question we have to ask is that if this is how you are, is there any hope for you? Is it possible for fools to leave their foolish ways behind and embrace wisdom? And I would say absolutely. But it starts with realizing that at the core of foolishness, what is really driving foolish behavior is this, a rejection of the existence of God. And the reason I say that is, for example, Psalm 14, Psalm chapter 14, verse 1. Look at it. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. All right. All of those things are foolish mistakes that people do, that we all do. But at the core, and what's driving it all, is the denial that God, the creator of the universe, actually exists. If a fool is a fool because they deny God's existence, then a fool is no longer a fool when they decide to believe and accept that there is a God. Therefore, to believe and accept God's existence is to be wise which is the opposite of being a fool. And this absolutely makes sense. When the Bible talks about wisdom, it's always God-centered. God himself is a source of all wisdom. That's why Proverbs 9.10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, 
And knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And we've covered this before, but the idea of fearing God is not being terrorized of God. That, oh my goodness, and that's part of it. It's part of it. But the idea of fearing God is having this God awareness, all right? First of all, realizing that God is God and you are not. And also realizing that God sees and hears everything. And what's so fascinating about when we talk about God being the source of wisdom, that wisdom is not a collection of principles, but it's mind-blowing to think that wisdom is a person, all right? His name is Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ, if you think about it, is wisdom personified. If you're going to think about the wisest person that lived in human history, you cannot overlook Jesus. He is wisdom personified. If you want to know what a fool looks like, find a person who denies the existence of God. But if you want to know what true wisdom is, look to no one else but Jesus. A lot of you here are here today and you want to be wise. You want to make wise decisions. You want to reject foolishness and embrace wisdom. And in order to do that, in order to be wise, you just have to embrace Jesus. And you have to center your life and your imagination and your emotions around who Jesus is. The reason why we make a big deal of Jesus is because Jesus is everything and Jesus changes everything. He takes a fool like me, he takes a fool like you, right, and transforms our life so that we may look. Like if you look through the rear view mirror of your life and you look back at where you was at and what you was doing compared to right now, you have changed. You are living more wisely. And even if you make foolish mistakes, Jesus, the wisdom, the wisdom provides for you forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And then reinstills or recreates in you not only a desire to live wisely, um, but a desire to follow him. Only in Jesus can those who manifest foolishness be set free to true wisdom and ultimate life. Only in Jesus can we truly have wisdom. Man, I wished I had time to read 1 Corinthians, but gosh, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 and onwards, just talks about how Jesus is wisdom. <laughs> and how the preaching, the good news, the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to who? To those who are perishing. But it is good news to those who have been saved, to those who have believed, to those who have embraced, to those who by God's grace are consumed with the beauty and majesty of Jesus.
And so I pray for myself every day, and I'm praying for you, and you need to be praying for yourself that Jesus doesn't just become a caricature or some fictional or some historical um, individual in history, that Jesus, who is alive now and communicates and interacts with you through his Holy Spirit. This stuff is real, okay? Through his Holy Spirit would become a reality in your life. And so then when you gather with your church family, whether on Sunday here or whether in small groups, that when we talk about Jesus being everything, you're not just hearing it. You're not just hearing it. But you're truly, truly staggered and moved by who Jesus is and what he's done for you. May that be our prayer. I loved Ecclesiastes because every chapter, every verse, every, every part of it just, allude, just magnifies Jesus, doesn't it? We're talking about fools. And then as we talk about fools, we need to talk about wisdom. And then when we talk, we're like, oh my goodness, Jesus is wisdom. He absolutely is. And may we be a church that doesn't just talk about Jesus, but a church that is truly, authentically, genuinely just impacted and changed and affected by Jesus for his glory, his renown, and his fame in this city. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today's reminder. Thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for your word and your truth. And there's so much that we've covered that we couldn't, we just couldn't. There's so much in it. And so, God, I pray in the weeks to come, in our community groups during the week, that you would absolutely help us understand um, what it looks like um, for us to, to, to reject folly and embrace wisdom. Wisdom. You, Jesus, are wisdom. What it means to embrace you and be led by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.